Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Please turn in your Bible at home or on your device, uh, navigate to the book of Romans, chapter 1, passage that was just read. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going to pause for one more word of prayer. Father, I bow before you again this morning, Lord, and I just ask for your, uh, Lord, your help in preaching your word. Pray for your spirit's power, Lord, to accompany Lord, the preaching of it, I pray that, Lord, you would just apply it so perfectly to people's lives. Lord, allow it to be, uh, Lord, sensed for the living word that it is. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would minister to uh, each person who's listening here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it's time to return this morning to our our verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. We left off from this study six weeks ago now. It's hard to believe. And, uh, you know, right around March 15th when uh, the quarantine was sort of quickly closing in on us, I had actually prepared to to preach on this passage. And uh, due to the the crisis at hand, I didn't feel like at that time preaching on the wrath of God was really what God was calling me to do at that time. Instead, I I preached about uh, just the comfort and God's sovereignty and God's control. And we did that for a number of weeks, um, speaking words of comfort and and of God's love. And then after that, we transitioned into about a three-week series on Easter and talking about Lazarus and Jesus being the resurrection and the life. But here we are a week after Easter and, and we're still on lockdown. We're still quarantined. And I think the time has come to return now to this study that we left off of. And by the sovereignty of God, this is the passage that we find ourselves at, dealing with the wrath of God. It's one of the things I, I really do appreciate so much about verse-by-verse preaching is that, uh, you know, so often, so many times, you know, I think in, in my own humanness, I would skip over certain passages, but God, uh, in his timing, uh, brings us through a book like this, and oftentimes the topics are just what somebody needs to hear, so I'm trusting in that this morning. I uh, also just want to recognize, however, that um, if you're a person who is significant, significantly grieving at this time, um, this may not be uh, the best passage for you to focus on right now, and that's okay. Uh, I would even direct you to our, our own stream here on Facebook. There, there are multiple messages speaking uh, to God's comfort and God's resurrection power. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage you to, to maybe check out one of those sermons this morning. But, but for the rest of us, uh, this is what God has for us this morning. 
and, and we're going to address it head on here. But first I want to kind of get, get you back into this study. Paul has been telling the Romans just how eager he is to share the gospel with them. He's been telling them that here through the first 17 verses or so. And he has said so boldly here in verse 16 that he is not ashamed of the gospel message. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? It's because the gospel actually has the power to save someone. And how can you not be eager to share with someone the good news that there is a righteousness available from God, not on the basis of merit or works, but from faith to faith, or as it were, from faith from first to last. All of faith. There's a righteousness available from God that we can receive by faith. That's why Paul was so eager to share this message now, normally, you, you state a problem and then the solution. But I think Paul here in his eagerness to preach has expressed the, the blessed solution in verses 16 and 17, the gospel message. And now as he turns into verse 18, he is going to explain the problem behind that solution. In fact, he will continue to explain this problem clear through chapter 3, verse 20. So really, verse 18 here functions as a theme verse for the whole section. Let's just read it together here. Verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know, the, the wrath of God is, is never an easy or popular subject to, to talk about, even in, in the best of times. In some ways, it, it is easier to speak of the wrath of God during times of safety and security. It's, you know, far less controversial to do so. Yet, I know that during those times, the wrath of God can feel so far off. It can almost feel like a, like a virus that's still on the other side of the world. Do you remember when the coronavirus was still all the way only in China? And I don't know about you, but I wasn't concerned about it. I was going about my normal business. I, I think at the time we were distracted by the impeachment news and uh, various other things that were going on, the Super Bowl I wasn't concerned about this virus. But then suddenly the, the virus visits us here in, in our community and we want to know suddenly who's responsible for this and why didn't we know more? Why weren't we better prepared? <laughs> See, we, we rarely listen to, to those who are giving the warning when we are feeling safe and secure. The times of, of suffering, though, grab our attention. I heard John Piper say just recently, he said this, God knows that we are blind to the 
moral outrage of belittling him through indifference or sin. What does he mean by that? It means that it is morally outrageous for us, the created ones, to belittle God who, who he has made, or who has made us, rather. When we sin against God, we belittle him, disregarding his word and his ways and saying, no, my way is better. We are, are blind to the moral outrage of that. Piper continues, he says, nobody loses any sleep in this world over the fact that we pay more attention to the style of our hair than we do our creator. But you let God touch our bodies. And man, we're awake. We are wide awake and we're saying, where are you, God? Isn't that the way we respond? I think Piper's right. And that's why, although it, it might be easier in some senses to speak of the wrath of God when times are, are good, how needful is it now when we're suffering to speak on this topic, to be willing to go there? To go there when we are, are, are wide awake and alert to possibly actually take heed. And there are so many thousands of people in danger right now, imminent danger, even from, from this virus. And they, they need to be warned that there's something more urgent than the coronavirus to be aware of. And so I have three urgent things to say to you concerning the wrath of God this morning. First one, that God is, God is angry. But he's angry because he is good. What, what is the wrath of God? Simply stated, it is God's righteous anger against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. God is angry, though, because he is good. If evil didn't make God angry, then he himself would be evil. Right? John Murray wrote a, a wonderful definition of, of wrath. I wanted to share with you this morning. He said, wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. Surely you must see this to be so. And yet, so many people reject the word of God, reject God himself at this very point. They object saying that surely wrath is unworthy of God. J.I. Packer explains it well, I think, when he said, to some, wrath suggests a loss of self-control in outburst of seeing red which is partly if not wholly irrational to others it suggests the rage of conscious impotence or wounded pride or just a plain bad temper 
Surely it is said, it would be wrong to ascribe to God such attitudes as these. And the reply is, indeed it would be, but the Bible does not ask us to do this. Packer says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry where anger is called for. Even among humans, there's such a thing as righteous indignation, though it is perhaps rarely found. But all God's indignation is righteous. Would a God who took as much pleasure in evil as he did in good be a good God? Would a God who did not react adversely to evil in his world be morally perfect? Surely not, Packer says. But it is precisely this adverse reaction to evil which is a necessary part of moral perfection that the Bible has in view when it speaks of God's wrath. If God was not angered by rape, he would not be a good God. If God was not angered by murder, he would not be a good God. If God was not angered by lies and selfishness and greed and on and on, he would not be a good God. If he approved of or overlooked evil and was not angered by it, then he himself would be evil. There must be a a certain revulsion in God's holy character to evil, to all evil, not just what we perceive to be evil, but more importantly, what he perceives to be evil. God is angry, but it is not like human anger. It is a righteous anger at all that is evil and you want him to be like that because that means that he is good you shouldn't want him to be otherwise and that brings me to my second point and that is this the wrath of God is apparent to all it's not hidden Paul says here in the span of just two verses, that two things are being revealed. Not that they will be revealed in the future, but that they are, present tense, being revealed right now in a continuous way. They are the the exact same word here. You'll look in verse 17 and you'll see the word revealed. And then look in verse 18 and you'll see that word again, revealed, but it's referring to two different things. First, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that, that the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith, right? The righteousness of God is being revealed, is being uncovered. And then in verse 18, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed. Two things being revealed. And the major difference between these two points of revelation is the way that they are being revealed. One of them is readily apparent. 
and one of them is not. Paul says that the wrath of God is apparent. It is being revealed from heaven. You don't need to be a prophet to see the wrath of God being revealed. It's being revealed in and through the effects of God's curse on sin, on on this world because of our sin, I should say. Things like toil and trouble and pain and wars and famines and strife and cancer and death and yes, even pandemics. Don't misunderstand me now. I I would never claim to know why God allowed this particular pandemic at this particular time and in this particular way. I don't know. But I, I can confidently say that this pandemic and all other suffering for sin is evidence of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. being revealed because of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Pandemics are one more evidence of the wrath of God against sin generally as a result of the curse. There were no pandemics in the Garden of Eden. This was not how God originally designed his good world to be. This is because of sin that these sorts of things are here. Nor will there be any such thing in the new heavens and the new earth. No, this sort of thing that we are experiencing right now is one more evidence of living in a fallen world that has been cursed by God for our sin. The kind of suffering and death that we see right now. I saw the headlines this this morning. 37,000 people in our nation That all seems so arbitrary, so futile. But that's kind of the point. None of us is guaranteed our tomorrow because of sin. That's been true before this pandemic, and it's certainly true right now. As Romans 8 puts it so well, God subjected his creation to futility and we feel the futility of it. But the good news is, Romans 8 says that he subjected it to futility in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's not... It may seem arbitrary to us, but God has a plan. We're all universally under the same curse because of sin. And so if someone were to ask me, why has God allowed this virus? Is God judging us? The answer to that is simple, yes. Of course. All of this sort of thing is a consequence for our sin. You should come to the conclusion that something's wrong. The world is not as it should be. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven and it's apparent. You know, a few, a few weeks ago I brought up Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 where some people came to Jesus to ask him about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. He had murdered them. And they came to Jesus apparently asking why this had happened, this terrible thing had happened. And and I imagine that they must have thought that those who suffered in that way must have been particularly sinful to suffer such a grisly fate. Listen to how Jesus himself answers them. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Why has God sent this particular crisis? I don't know. But I do know that this is one more big wake-up call to, to this world. It's the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And all I know is that unless we repent and seek Him through the gospel, we will all likewise perish. God's wrath is not the only thing that's apparent. This passage goes on to say here in verses 19 and 20 that there are some basic things about God that are also apparent that everyone knows. Look Look at these verses here in verse 19. Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Right? Those things are are clearly apparent. There are certain positive things about God that can be plainly perceived by anyone even though God himself is an invisible being, the the visible fingerprints of his handiwork are all over his creation. The creation portrays the glory of God in high definition. It's plain to anyone to see that God made this world. And from the world that he made, you can see what he is like. What do you see when you look out on this world? We see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. His handiwork declares that he is glorious. The works of his hands are are full of his wisdom and his beauty. His creation declares his mighty power. Yet that truth about God that that should be just as plain as the nose on your face, Paul says back in verse 18, that it is suppressed by man in his unrighteousness. We suppress it down. R.C. Sproul said that uh, to to think of a, a gigantic spring or a coil to describe this word, suppress, that 
in order to compress that coil, you would have to use all the strength in your body to push it down. And all the while you're pushing it down, it's resisting your strength and is forcing against you, wanting to spring back up or recoil into its original position. The suppression of the truth is the the root sin that Paul mentions here, of which we have all been guilty. Against which, Paul says, God's wrath is apparently being revealed. And anyone can see these things. Anyone can look out on creation and see who God is and that we have obviously run afoul of him and that something's wrong. That's apparent. In fact, Paul says that these things are so apparent that we are without excuse. Sproul says that, that God is a clear teacher. Think about this. You know, when we um, claim to be maybe agnostic, that means that we, we just don't know if there is a God. Basically, what, what we're doing, that, that may seem like a soft option as opposed to atheism, but really what we're saying is that God isn't a clear teacher. Sproul says it's not as if God were teaching and, and somehow the message didn't get through. No, the, the problem is the message does get through and we suppress it down. And we refuse to think about it or, or to acknowledge it in any way. But there's no excuse, Paul says, for denying these things. They're, they're so plain. Christopher Ash said that what Paul is preaching against here is an I didn't know righteousness. You know what I, what I mean by that, right? It, it, it's the innocent look you get on your face when you try to play dumb about something that you know very well you did wrong, right? Oh, I didn't know. That's not going to fly with God. There will be no excuse for missing God's very plain teaching on these things. He's going he's gonna to say, what do you mean you didn't know? Didn't you see the the wonder of my creation? Didn't you see the beauty with which I made it? Didn't you see my wrath and and displeasure towards sin being clearly revealed from heaven? Of course you did. Depart from me. God will not be mocked in this regard. But what about, someone will say, what what about the, the poor, innocent, native who's never even had an opportunity to hear Jesus. Again, I can do no better than R.C. Sproul on answering this question. He says, the poor, innocent native who's never heard of Jesus doesn't need to hear of Jesus. He has nothing to worry about. Don't bother sending missionaries to preach to him. He'll, he'll probably just mess him up. That poor, innocent native, when he dies, goes straight to heaven. Now, the the catch to this, of course, is good luck finding an innocent native. Good luck finding an innocent person anywhere on this earth. There is no such thing. We are all guilty of unrighteousness and ungodliness. We are all guilty of suppressing the truth. 
Sproul says that, that God is not going to reject people for failing to believe in, in Jesus who they've never heard of. Of course he's not going to do that. But God will reject them for suppressing the truth about the one they have clearly heard of. He's being revealed through his creation and his wrath is being clearly revealed from heaven. It is apparent. But what is not readily apparent is the first revelation that Paul speaks about. In Romans 1.17, what is not readily apparent in history and in creation is the solution. While the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, the solution, the righteousness of God that's from faith from first to last is only being revealed in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it must be preached Our friends, our neighbors, our family, they have enough to know about God. They have enough to know that God is displeased, but they don't have enough to know how to be saved. We have to share it. That's why we must be like Paul, so eager and ready to share it with other people, especially in times of crisis. People can sense that something is wrong, but they need to hear the solution. They need to hear the gospel message. Lord, help us to, to share it. Thirdly, and, and finally this morning, the, the wrath of God is in fact our most urgent problem. Our greatest problem is not our, our happiness or comfort or fulfillment or success greatest problem is is not even loss of job or loss of health or coronavirus or anything else you want to put in that blank and I'm I'm not even trying to minimize those terrible things I've already told you that my heart is in anguish this week to think about what some of you are going through and will go through right now as a result of this virus Yet even so, there is a a terrible and more urgent problem that every person must come face to face with and deal with. There's an urgent problem that we must talk about even if it's uncomfortable. And that is the wrath of God that will burn against unrepentant sinners in hell for all eternity. We must talk about this. This is where Paul begins as he begins to share the gospel. He begins with the terrible news, with the bad news. He goes straight to our greatest problem. Our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. And he is righteously angry with you about it. Listen to to Martin Lloyd-Jones here as he wonders aloud, How many of us would have started with this if we were giving reasons as to why we preach the gospel? But why is Paul ready to preach the gospel in Rome or anywhere else? You'll notice he doesn't say because he's so anxious that they should be happy. 
He does not say it is because he knows that many of them are living defeated lives and that he has got something to tell them that will give them victory. He does not say to them, I want to come and preach the gospel to you in Rome because I've had a marvelous experience and I want to tell you about it in order that you all may have the same experience. It isn't that at all. Lloyd-Jones says that this isn't the thing that, that Paul starts with. There is no mention here of any experience. He's not talking in terms of their happiness or some particular state of mind or something that might appeal to them in any way. But this staggering, amazing thing, the wrath of God. Our issue is first a God-centered issue, not a man-centered one. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, in their unrighteousness, suppress that truth. We do this no matter where that ungodliness and unrighteousness may be found and and, and that is a, a terrible problem that we must all come to grips with. It's where we must start. It's where we must start in our understanding of the gospel for ourselves and it's where we must start in explaining the gospel to others. People need to be warned. Whether they want to hear it or not, they need to be warned whether they perceive it to be a threat that is nearby or, or far off or not. We, they need to be warned whether they will scoff at us for sharing it or not. We should follow the example of the Apostle Paul and have the courage to talk about this with people. Why beat around the bush? Let's be authentic and talk about the real problem. Let the one who has ears to hear heed the warning. God is furiously angry about all our sin. It is apparent and it is urgent Don't treat this like it's a danger that is half a world away, far removed from your daily life. Don't treat it like surely it will never visit you. We tend to do that, don't we? But listen, if you have ears to hear, be warned. The wrath of God is even now being revealed plainly from heaven. And don't play like you don't know. Recognize the problem and then seek to understand the solution. You need a Savior. You need a Savior who loved you enough to see you in that predicament under God's wrath and to enter into your shoes, to come into your world and to die on the cross, to bear that wrath for you on the cross. That's what the good news is that Paul is going to Uh, get to eventually, and I I can't leave you hanging this morning to know that though this message of this bad news is stark, that the wrath of God is being revealed, there is better news, there is good news that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to bear the wrath of sinners like you and like me so that you don't have to bear it anymore. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Him, you can know that, you, that your greatest, most urgent need 
to be out from under the wrath of God has been taken care of. Not by works, but by faith. By faith from first to last. The only appropriate response to the gospel message, to hearing of God's wrath, is to repent of your sins, to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so to be gloriously and forever saved. Let's pray.